everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Black Belt or Bust. I'm Keely. And I'm Misty. And today is the official beginning of our Women in MMA series. We're pretty excited for this one, don't you think, Misty? I'm excited. So the first thing we wanted to do is just talk about Women in MMA and um, kind of a brief overview as to some things to look for, particularly in people who are trying who are training BJJ and wanting to make the shift to MMA. But, Misty, do you think we're qualified to cover all this? I know I'm not. I don't. (laughs) Okay, so before we get started, i got to tell you about my first experience with, like, being introduced with MMA, like, physically. There was a girl I used to work with at a credit union, and she asked me if I wanted to go to a kickboxing class. And I thought this was going to be, like, you know, like, a good cardio workout, like, with punching bags, you know, like, you see, like, 40-year-old women. Think, yeah. And I've taught those classes. I know what you mean. <laughs> and I walk into this building, and we go downstairs, and there's just all these guys, like, beating up on each other. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, what the fuck am I doing? And she tells me, she's like, yeah, I'm getting into MMA because I have all this bottled up, you know, tension and anger because my husband wants a divorce out of nowhere so I just need a new outlet so she wanted to get into MMA so we did the kickboxing class and it's a lot like what we have here with the pads you know where we're doing a lot of the the punching and kicking so that was like my first introduction to this so I know I'm definitely not qualified on some level because I'm all ground stuff I'm all jujitsu but I'm excited to talk to our guest today oh we have a guest what (laughs) Cody Freeland Hey, what's up, guys? (laughs) So, for those of you that don't know Cody, first we have to talk about by saying he is the shit here in Greenville. We were told to say that. Yeah. Paid advertisement right there. Right there. (laughs) He is a BJJ brown belt who's worked with both David Close and Richard Pinto in the Greenville area. He's the general manager of UFC Gym Greenville. But the biggest thing is that he works with a lot of local MMA fighters and actually just had the opportunity to go to Singapore with... Team USA in order to coach them and work with them. So, Cody, thanks for being on the show. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. I guess the first thing we want to talk about is we hear so many things about, okay, you've got somebody new in the gym, and you call out, they've got they've got the right instincts. They're, they look like they would be a good fighter. What do you mean? What do we mean? What do we mean by instincts? Uh, it's like an it factor. It's like, um, it's like fight or flight, right? It's like some people get punched in the mouth and freeze up some people get punched in the mouth and leave some people get punched in the mouth and literally whether they like it or not come back full force at you and they fight and that's kind of the way of summing it up um obviously there's there's physical things that go into it as well like how athletic someone is how coordinated they are but when somebody asks me like if someone has it i think of like um I think of someone that has the mindset and the reactions to where if something reaches out and bites them, they're going after it full-fledged until it backs down. But there's a lot of other things that go into it, obviously. Okay. So, with that, you know, I think a lot about Hannah, right? Yeah. Like, Hannah Scoggins, who we are going to have, she's one of the people we've interviewed. And a sidebar is Cody has coached and worked with all three females we have. In this series, yeah, it's pretty cool. Which is really cool, but, like, when you talk about that, I think about Hannah and the Honey Badger, like, you know how you gave her the Honey Badger Award? Mm Mm-hmm. I was on Instagram, 
and our Planet Daily account was talking about honey badgers, and it described a honey badger, a honey badger, and I said, oh my god, this is Hannah Scoggins, like, it really <laughs> is her, so... I guess like maybe we can those... petition and change your fright name to Hand of the Honey Badger. <laughs> she she's a lot like that, but the things that you talk about are things that I think about like when I think of like Hannah or Charlesy or Teeny. You know, they're the type of people that like they don't back down in a sense. Like if they're not intimidated. Yes, they don't get intimidated easily. Or if some something comes at them, they're like ready to fight. So I kind of want to take it back. Because we haven't gotten to talk about your experience in MMA and everything yet. When you walked into the gym, did you believe you had that it factor to make it as an MMA fighter? <laughs> so when I walked in the gym, MMA wasn't a thing. Um, I started karate when I was five years old. And um, funny story, I started karate because, so Walker, Texas Ranger used to be on TV. And <laughs> I used to have this. I used to have this like husband pillows, what they're called. It's those pillows that have like if you sit up, they have the hump and they have the two armrests. Mm-hmm. Well, I would stand it up vertically to where like the armrest looked like a head. And I was like four years old, five years old, and um, Walker would come on and he'd do the spin kicks and I'd, I'd just beat these pillows until the point where they rip. Well, my mom sewed them up, rip again. And so when I was like five, my mom was like, you know what? I'm taking this kid to karate. Like he's. You know, he's gonna, he wants to hit everything. I'm gonna, I mean, he's going to get hit back. He's going to stop this. And I always say jokes on her because I never stopped. But started when I was, you know, a young kid and literally trained karate um, year-round all the way up until I was, you know, I mean, went to college. Um, I started teaching karate when I was 12 years old, helping with kids' classes. And then I started becoming, like, a head instructor when I was 16 or 17. And at one point I even had, I think I, I was a program director at, like, 20 years old, 21 years old, you know, run a whole program by myself. Um, I mean, obviously, it was, a, it was an, another person's karate school, and they run the business side, but teaching-wise, I was over the program. And then MMA got big at that time, and, and uh, me and one of my other buddies who was a jiu-jitsu guy at the time, James Lennick, who's actually I got my pro belt under um, before I started training with David and, and Richard, but um, opened a gym with him, and, and we did MMA, and our guys were winning. Um you know, and and um, and then I fought just because it was you know what you did back then, and I didn't. I never even thought about it like a. It was just what I don't know. I never thought like, oh, I have it or I don't. I always assume I was going to win, and kind of like when you're sparring, you know, or when you're training with people, it that's really what it comes down to. It's a competitive edge. It's it's are you? There, there's a couple ways to win, right? Like when you say winning is a sense of like stop getting hurt. You're sparring someone, someone kicks you in the body, it hurts. There's three options you have, really, to win that situation as far as, like, if you can look at winning, it's like not getting hit anymore. Well, one, you could run. Right? You run, well, you win because they're not hitting you anymore. So you, you stop getting hit, and there's no more damage. Um, you freeze, and you kind of tense up, and you just hope that, like, you holding that position, they can't hit you again, or you hope that they stop. So you're looking for, like, their mercy. So you're either going to defeat, or you're either going to run to not get hit anymore, or you're going to look for mercy to not get anymore, or you're going to say, you know what, I'm willing to take this short-term pain and come back at them to the point where they run or they freeze. So, you know, I, I think that uh, I've always had that a little bit, you know, in the in the in training and, and whenever I fought was this, I just, I'm incredibly competitive, so, yeah, I don't know, but I never really thought if I had it, you know, I really... It's weird. I always wanted to be a coach. I never really wanted to be an athlete. Um, I, I did the athlete part to 
experience the emotions and 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 go through it. But uh, really, as a young kid, I, I've, I've always wanted to be a coach, and it's still kind of how it is today. I don't really have any desire to compete. Yeah. Well, you're a really good coach. And when you coach your fighters and then you coach the kids in a tournament, because you do you take the same method of coaching or do you or is it different? Because you're going from like kids uh, to adults or is there just something that works across the board for both? Yeah, I mean and it depends. Like um so we go to a jiu-jitsu tournament and I have a kid at a competitor or and then I have, you know, Adult competitors. Well, it depends on the adult competitor. Some adult competitors you treat like kids. You know, some of them you're just proud they're there. You know, they've overcome so much just to be confident enough to get on the mat, and that's 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 a huge win in itself. Then you have the medal chasers that are the people that you know they're the quote unquote the athletes who are looking to compete and win. And I think there is a different methodology with it. I mean, I still take the same approach when I'm coaching in the corner. Um, short commands. Uh, heavy praise and uh, a lot of activity and but the the difference is is, is the emotional level um, you know I have a kid out there competing I don't I want them to win you know I want I want them to win for them I want them to win you know as validation that that we're doing the right things but I I'm not gonna like um, I'm not gonna get excited about it you know if story about one of the first tournaments I ever coached for kids, a little girl actually, it was actually Kelly Gentry's niece, right, I was coaching her, and, and um, she got to take down, ref didn't give her the points, and uh, she ended up losing, and I remember finding myself, like, competitive mode to the max, and I'm about to just let this referee have it, and then I have this, like, flash in my head, and I'm like, what's more important right now, you know, you you campaigning and, and freaking out and getting these two points and her winning this match, or you being an example of you know how to you know lose the grace or how to be a good person, whatever you want to look at it as. And it clicked to me like with kids, the competition is so much more than winning. It's it's teaching them how to react to a win or a loss. Um, and so you know, I I, I very rarely am going to you know if a kid gasses in a fight. Okay, good job, dude. We got to train harder. We're gonna get better. You did a good job. I'm still so proud of you. Like, whereas you know, we go to an MMA fight and and if Hannah Scoggins or Teeny or or any of them, you know, gas in a fight, win or lose. Like, you can ask any of my fighters. If if you gas and it goes the distance and you and you gassed out, you can expect a pad round in the back. Like, we're gonna we're gonna prove to ourselves that we had more. And it's going to be a hard pad around. Sometimes they're five minutes long. Sometimes they're ten minutes long. But it's literally going to push you to the point of, like, you feel like you're dying. But it proves to you that you didn't die in that fight. And so there's sometimes I have fighters that win fights and they get out of the cage and I'm upset with them because of their performance or um, because they weren't listening in a fight or something. And, and I'll instantly give them tough love right away. Whereas, you know, the kid or even just an adult who's doing it for leisure in a jiu-jitsu tournament, I'm never going to – that's not the point. You know, it's, it's – you got to look at why the competition is there. If you're competing to win and you're really doing that as a competitive nature, like, that's what it, the sport's about. It's about winning. Um, but if you're looking at, at getting into it as a hobby or, um, you know, for leisure – it's not the sports. It's not. I mean, you want to win, of course, but the sports about overcoming so much more than that. That 
you know, it's just deeper than it's deeper than winning or losing. For a lot of people, getting on the mat and competing is winning. Mm-hmm. You know, just getting out there and um, and doing something that vulnerable in front of that many people is a huge win. And you know, sometimes I think that like the metal chasers have missed that because metal chasers are are usually they train multiple times a week, multiple times a day, sometimes. And so they always have a little bit of an edge, you know, and so they're, they're used to winning and, and so they don't get, they don't really get this sense of overwhelming, like overcoming something going out and doing a jiu-jitsu tournament. Like, they just, it's just, it's not a thing to them. It's just... It's just another day. It's just another day. You know, where the average person, they go out there and they do that and it's like liberating because they just went and, and they were vulnerable in front of people. They gave something their very best. They won, they lost. It didn't matter, but either way... They were supported, and that's something that's like, it's 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 just like mind blowing for people to go through when they're not used to it. So I think that that's why I love jujitsu and, and and martial arts in general because there's level when you hear people there's levels to it. There is, you know, you, you, most most blue belts or purple belts who are going to a, a tournament to compete, they're training two three times a week. And they, they love it and they enjoy it, but they have jobs or, or they're in school. Um, I mean, they're just not going to be able to compete with, with the guys that are training, you know, three times a day for, um, consider, you know, some, somebody who's, let's say, treating like college or somebody who's in high school that's homeschooled or somebody that, who's an MMA fighter who can just literally train all day and that's their job. You just, I mean... In two years, they're both going to be blue belts or purple belts or whatever, or blue belts, but one of them's going to put in five times more hours than the other person. And so there's levels to it, but it's gratifying on all ends, I think. So I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So I think one thing picking up from that is with kids, there's a lot of character development and seeing what martial arts can do for them in the long run, starting out young. And then as an adult coming into this, whether you want to do MMA or you just want to do jiu-jitsu or um, both or, you know, any single form of martial arts and you want to compete, there's still that character development, you know. It's a component. Yeah, it, it's part of that versus, you know, this is going to be my career. It, but, it's all about that intention. Yeah. Like how you said when when you're trying to figure out a fighter, they have to have that it factor, something about them to show that they are ready to fight rather than to kind of give up or back away. So for them, it's not going to be necessarily the experience so much as that event or that fight for itself. And then we talked a little bit about when people get to the competition or get to the fight, how to coach them and what that is. But what about people that haven't quite gotten there yet? What about the people that walk in the door? Because when I think of it is that there's two different types of people. Some have just watched UFC fights and they want to be a black belt. I'm using air quotes, black belt in UFC and they don't understand it. And they come in and immediately first day, they're like, I want to fight. I want to do this. And then you have other people, the second type of person that comes in and they're like, I don't know if I want to do that. And then they start training something else. Maybe they just start jujitsu and then they're like, maybe I want to fight. So you kind of have two different personalities. Mm -hmm. So how do you deal with both of those? Or are there certain things you're looking for in a type of person to put that time into them to fight? Ooh, that's a good question right there. So early on in my career, no. Early on in my career, like um, I say that, I'm only 33, but I started coaching MMA when I was 21. And 
coaching a lot of fights, and, and early on, I, I'd look for, like, these people that came to me, like, the first person you said, like, oh, I'm gung-ho, I'm going to do this, I'm going to be the UFC champion, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I believe you, dude, like, let's do this, you know, <laughs> I, I think you are, too, and then, um, you know, you go for so long, and you start to understand what, you know, you start to see what the real side of people are, and, and the truth of the matter is, is really, it's the second person, um, so... For a long time, when people came and asked me to train them, I would just accept, boom, yes, absolutely, let's do it. Um, and then, as I got early, like later in my career, and like now, I have a rule, which is like, I don't, I don't chase fighters. Like, I don't contact them anymore, like, um, I just don't chase them. Like, if, if, if they want to train with me, they'll show up and they'll train with me, or they'll contact me. And the reason I do that isn't to be like, um, you know, this cocky coach, it's not that at all. It's, it's, it's the first principle of learning. If I seek you out and I'm telling you, like, let's say, um, let's say I come to you and I'm like, Keely, you know, you're tying your belt wrong. You need to fix how you're tying your belt, but you've tied your belt that way your whole life and it's cool. You're going to be like, wait, what? This guy's an idiot. Like, what do you mean I have to tie my belt differently? Like, no, this is how I tie it. Mm -hmm. And it becomes like this, like, I'm telling you you need to fix something and the way you receive it is like, there's always going to be like a head on you know, what do you mean? Especially with fighters, at least. Yeah. So the other way would be for me to tie my belt differently in front of you over and over again, gain your respect as a jiu-jitsu practitioner to the point where you say, hey, why do you tie your belt like that? Yeah. Well, now you're asking me. So now you're open to learn from me. And so if I, oh, I tie my belt like this because this guy showed it to me and because this is the history behind it, da 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 You're like, oh, my God, I need to tie my belt differently. And see, that there's a huge difference in that. And so... Early in my career, when I was chasing fighters, these people who told me, oh, I'm going to be a world champion. Okay, I'm going to train you like one, which means I'm going to expect to see you every day. And if I don't, I'm going to call you. And, and it's, it's just chase. And what you realize is, like, that's not the people who are going to be champions. You know, like... And, they have and, to push themselves. They have to want it themselves to yeah, be able to go anywhere. And the people that you tell, like, I see somebody who's really athletic, I'm like, dude, you're going to be incredible. Or, you know, and... and let me train you. Let me show you how good you could be. Maybe a really good wrestler or a good jiu-jitsu person or just a good athlete in general. And it was never, you can't do it. You know, it's got to be something that they want personally. And, you know, I, I, we talked about Hannah. I use Hannah as a perfect example because she's one of the first people to teach me this. Um, Hannah started at a school that was Krav Maga gym that I used to teach at. Um, you know, we did all self-defense. I started a little MMA team there. We had a little kids karate program there, but it was a Krav Maga school. And she started in the Krav Maga program um, with some other coaches and, she saw us doing the MMA thing, and, and you know she was like 15, 16 years old at the time. And if you've ever seen Hannah Scoggin, she's a tiny little girl, blonde hair, blue eyes, like just looks like the most innocent thing in the world. And um, will knock you out in a heartbeat. Will knock you out in a heartbeat. Yeah, break your arm. 105 pounds, 115 pounds of the Feels time, like 300 when she's putting pressure on you. Yeah. She's just this sweet-looking, little innocent little girl, you know? And, and she comes to me after crowd of God, and she said that her, actually her and her brother started together. Um, they both told me, I want to do MMA. Well, Alright, cool. Y'all do Y'all do Krav Maga a little bit. It's an adult class. Like, you know, they are both kids. Well, long story short, her brother ended up, he's a, he's super artistic and other things. He ended up pursuing um, other passions, but she stayed on. And she came to me again, I want to do MMA. And I said, alright, you know what? We just started this jiu-jitsu program. Uh, Richard Pinto was actually uh, the head coach of the jiu-jitsu program at the gym at the time. He was a brown belt, I believe. Um, and I said, I tell you what, you know what, you want to compete, you want to do this, like, we'll see. Well, you know, come to jiu-jitsu class, because the MMA guys had to come to jiu-jitsu class, too. Come to jiu-jitsu class, roll with them for a little while, and we'll see. 
so like the first month she comes in, you know, I'm thinking this girl's gonna quit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this girl's gonna quit. And so, long story short, she comes in, she trains, goes and wins like three gold medals as a white belt, arm bars everybody. And the first tournament was like a smaller tournament, like a Naga. And then they take, like, Richard takes her to like the Atlanta Open and she arm bars everybody. And then they take her to the New York Open and she mm-hmm. arm bars everybody. This is a matter of like three months. Granted, she'd been training Krav Maga and there is Jiu Jitsu of Krav Maga, like, sort of, the way that we train there was. She ended up getting her blue belt and just, and she was like, okay. I, I want to do MMA, and I'm like, oh my god, all right. So, so I start training her a little bit in class, and um, her mom contacts me one day, and she says, she says, I want you to train my daughter. You know, I've talked to her about this. She's serious about this, and the way you, what you need to understand my daughter is like she makes her mind up, she's going to do it. I want you to train her. And so she wrote me a check, which is a lot of money at the time for me, and I was like, how do you want to do this? Do you want to do this like, like you want? I mean, do you want this to last like a whole month? Do you want this to last like two months, like three months? And she's like, just do it as many times as you can. So, like, the first two weeks, it was like, she bought 10 sessions, you know? Mm-hmm. The first two weeks, me and Hannah ran through them in literally two weeks. Five a week. Five the first week. Five the second week. Your mom called me and was like, well, let's maybe just do three. You know? <laughs> because, I mean. It's like, well, shit. <laughs> I wasn't charging that much back then. I mean, I was charging, okay, I was, it was 30 bucks a session. Um, so, she paid me, like, $300 for 10 sessions. And, and, you know, the faster they went, the faster I got paid. And I was all about it. And so was Hannah. And so... We did that. We, we trained, um, we did private lessons, literally the whole, we probably did them for four, five, six months consistently, three times a week, every week, same time. Um, but anyways, she was consistent and um, and she never quit. And so what she taught me, get back to the point we first started talking about, like what she taught me as a coach was, you know, the people who are going to be great at this, don't, you, you hear it all the time, but it's like, don't tell me, show me. You know, and the yeah. problem with that is it's like... Back your actions up. It's years, you know, and it's... it's. I realize as a coach, I can keep trying to press and force and make all these athletes or all these fighters, or I could sit back, enjoy coaching, and wait, which is ultimately what you have to do because the people who are going to, like, go far in this, they... They pursue it, and they just never quit. That's really, the, to me, the, the most important thing as a martial artist is you never quit. Like, doesn't matter, and they master the basics. You know, the first three months that me and Hannah worked together, we literally, she, she maybe threw two punches, like a jab and a cross. We didn't do kicks yet. We didn't do long combinations. We did three months, three days a week of footwork. And doing that, she has the basics mastered so well now that she, it's not a conscious thought. It's like breathing for her. Because I'll, I'll watch her in the ring, when, and even when she was in the sling. So when immediately after surgery, she was in the sling. But she could still do footwork. So I would see her in the ring or videos of her in the ring. And she would just still be working her footwork. And even though she wasn't throwing any combinations, she looked like she belonged there. That was That's the thing for me is mm-hmm. how comfortable are you in the ring are you in the cage and seeing that it's like oh that 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 makes me want to do it you know like seeing people like her and then it's like for example like destiny working with hafiz Mm -hmm. here in our muay thai program seeing how comfortable they are or just how much they're like you ask them to explain the movement to you and they're like i don't know if i can because they do it so subconsciously they've learned Mm -hmm. and it's ingrained in their system and then I know Misty and I were talking about it, I think a couple of episodes again, where especially for adults, we have to kind of reprogram our brain to learn things. Yeah. Where we've grown up doing something, like you said, tying the belt. 
you've learned something and then now somebody's telling you to do it a different way and it's kind of like you have to reprogram your brain and relearn the movement all over again so it's not natural to you until you've done it for so long so let's talk about the second person okay they've started training and then they think that they want to do it so like in hannah's case have you seen some differences between the men and women in terms of you kind of have more women in that second pool of candidates the ones that ah, i might want to fight i'm not sure about it compared to the ones that come in and they're like, no, I want to fight. Um, you know, it's funny because, so it depends. Um, Jiu-jitsu, I would say, like, that's probably, the, I mean, there's a lot of women that they end up doing a competition and they never even plan on doing jiu-jitsu. It's just, it, and, you know, it just becomes this personal victory for them to, to train and go and stuff. But, like, the MMA scene, usually, I mean, because you got to understand, like, for a lot of coaches, a lot of coaches, they, you know, for whatever reason, you know, I can't, I can't speak for other coaches, but historically speaking, have kind of like not trained women, you mm. know, and so kind of like write them off. Like I almost, I kind of wrote off Hannah a little bit, you know, I wasn't more that she was a woman, it was more that she was young, but it happens. And for, you know, I, I got to train with a high level female early on as a coach, so I understood how, you know, how good females could be as well so I never looked at it that way but a lot of people do so most women that come to you as an MMA they're fighting like it's just not it's not like a because it's it's such an uncomfortable thing to go through like because I mean you, you gotta think if you're training MMA it's not an all girl class you're out there fighting guys yeah. Oh, yeah. you're rolling with dudes you it's know, not fun it's, it's, <laughs> it's just, not fucking smash and, and they stink you know, and it's just like you're one of the dudes, you know, and 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 so for most women that come to that class, they're like, yeah, I want to fight, you know. But there are some that, that that don't. There are some that just enjoy coming and putting in the work, just you know. But most of the time, if a female is seeking out MMA, they're they're they, they've already thought through it. You yeah. know, it's not just like a whim. Like some guy saw, oh, I can fight. I'm let's go to the gym tomorrow. Like for most women, it's not just that simple. It's they've they've thought it out, they've weighed the pros and cons, and and they want to do it. And so, but with all all the women, the same as well as like women, they they won't allow themselves to fight and do things until they hammer out the basics, you know. So like most, the di- biggest difference I'd see between like an MMA guy and MMA, cause you said difference between guys and gals. If I give a girl, you come in. I give you a simple shuffle jab or step jab, whatever it might be that day, and that's it. We drill it for an hour, we perfect it. You know, I tell you all the things you're looking for. I'll come in for the next two weeks and see that girl do that drill on a bag by herself before class, while right when she's getting warmed up for class, she'll ask me about it. She'll train it the whole time. Like it's like the key to her success. She just mm-hmm. drills it. Ninety percent of the time that's what women do, what females do. Where a guy comes in in the first fifteen minutes, he's already trying to throw a cross. It's like, dude, we're just doing a jab today. We're just learning this footwork of stepping into a jab. And the next, you know, the next two weeks I see them training, they're throwing, like, spin kicks. And they're like, you know, not everybody. There are some people that are disciplined. But the thing about, a, the thing about female students is if I give them something, they generally don't complain about it, and they generally just do it. They just, they just drill it. And to the point where they're so good at it that I'm just like, all right, well, hey, this is what we're doing next. And to me, that's a huge key to success because you talked about Hannah like doing it like she's now, like she's breathing, yeah. right? I, I treat it like, um, you know, I think about it like an artist or something, you know. 
um, or even driving sometimes. I'll give you both examples. Like with an artist, like they might grow up and learn how to paint a house and they focus on painting houses for a couple years of their childhood and they focus on painting trees for a couple years of their childhood and, and then clouds and but when they're like 50 and they're a great artist, they, they're not, when they, when they look at a, a, you know, a landscape they're about to paint, they don't focus like, oh, i got to do this house. It's like, they've done clouds and trees and houses so many times, they know all the techniques. Yeah. And they're just there creating the moment. And that's how it has to be for a fighter is it's, it's you, have to, you have to drill something so many times that the basics, they become subconscious or you can do them without thinking because... Um, if you've ever heard the levels of competency, it's you have your unconsciously incompetent, mm-hmm. right? You like you don't even know you're bad at something. It's you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, you're like, you you're like no when you clue. walk into jujitsu and you're like you don't even know what questions to ask because you don't know anything about it. So yeah. you don't know to come in well, and say what's a close card. Like you don't know anything. Like farther than that, it's thought that you're going to come into jujitsu and do well. It's like, you know what, that looks easy to me. Yeah. Like, I'm going to do that. It's not even like not knowing the move. It's like, I'm just, you know what, I, I, I could be good at that. Yeah, there's, there's ignorance in it. Exactly. Like, you, you, you really believe you could. Like, right then, that, that very moment. And everybody can get good at jiu-jitsu over time. But, like, people believe, they watch the stuff and they be like, get up, man. Just get up off the floor. <laughs> I, I want to be like, dude, just come to a jiu-jitsu class and let somebody hold you in that position and just get up. So, mm-hmm. I've, I'm really curious about this, too. Because of the difference between men and women, as far as it as jujitsu or MMA comes, is it the fact that as females we don't grow up in combative sports or we're not there like fighting? Do you know what I'm saying? Like no, because I was in West Virginia. Remember, like I wrestled with my neighbor. I mean, it's like, like for me with like dance and gymnastics, that drilling part, it transfers over because I wasn't in it for so long. But I just remember where my dance teacher would yell at us and she would be like, girls, again, and like scream it where it's like, you have to get these like first two steps down and you've got it. It's got to be perfect. Like Mm -hmm. if your face isn't right, like all these things. I think for me that like going into jujitsu and why I get so technical or I'm like, no, I'm not like that first time I rolled. I wanted to do the technique, but I couldn't do it because people just wanted to grab my my gi and just choke me however they wanted to. And I'm like, no, this, this isn't what we learned this week. <laughs> like, yeah. this isn't, like, I don't know what to do. But I feel like in some aspects that may transfer over coming into this as an adult from like, you know, youth. But that's me speaking from, like, my own personal experience or being a female. Because, like, I didn't grow up with that. Or I hated confrontation. Confrontation. I didn't want to fight with people. Like, I didn't want to do it. I think everybody <laughs> has gotten an aspect in some sort of way. Because, guys, you think of baseball, wrestling, football especially. A lot of people have been in football growing up. They all got that kind of conditioning there. And then for women, it depends on did you do a lot of sports? What did you do? Like, how you did dancing and gymnastics? So I think it's very person by person, maybe women less so depending on the type of activity you did. If you did kind of more of quote unquote graceful activities, like I have no rhythm, so I couldn't have done anything you did, but I did like softball and volleyball and stuff like that where they would snap at us or 
be like, okay, y'all messed up, you're running suicides, you know. So there, I think it's just the conditioning aspect. Yeah. I think everybody got it on some level, mm-hmm. but it's if you respect it and are willing to apply it later on in life. Because I know yeah. some of us, we do so many things in high school, and then by the time you get out, you're like, no, I'm never doing that again. Yeah. So a lot of people won't put themselves in our predicament. Like, we're adults that started a new sport. Yeah. You know, both of us later on in life and, well, except Cody because he started early on. But Misty and myself later on in life is when we decided to try jiu-jitsu. Uh-huh. You know, we were an adult putting ourselves back in that situation in which somebody could yell at us, somebody could coach us. But we respected that. Yeah. Whereas some people will start as an adult and they're like, well, I don't want to listen to you. Yeah. So I think it's how did you apply that conditioning early on in life and bring kid. it back? Yeah, there's just, there's still just a big kid. There's still just a big kid. But it's funny because I, I, yeah, I put here, you know, we're talking about men and women, I, I put on my notes that women tend to focus more on the technique of things. And they, it's like, you know, it's, it's I'm, I'm, I'm trying to just retain my guard. And, and if they step up, I'm trying to get this underhook. And if they, if they try to base away, I'm trying to get this collar grip. And, and for women, it's just like this game, you know. And, it, and I think, you know, I shouldn't say for women and men. I don't try to make a gender battle. But if you look at the traditional, like the yin and yang of things, and they look at the the feminine side of the masculine side, you know, I kind of look at that like the feminine side of it's kind of just like trying to figure this out. The very, it's, you know, I look at it like Critical testosterone. Yeah. yeah, like that's really how I look at it. It's like the level of testosterone involved because to a rational minded person, like the the female thinker, if you will, they're like, okay, the person stepped up. This is my next move. I need to hit this move. Okay, I missed that. Well, this is my next step. And the, and they're constantly thinking about it like, this, like a, a technical battle, like you're playing chess, where men focus on the competition of things, where it's just like, it's not that I'm trying to retain my guard. It's like, I'm, I'm trying to submit you. I'm trying to get you off me. I'm trying to win. And it's this this constant battle. And there is that. I'm not saying women don't have that. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that, to me, that's the classic masculine side, where it's like, it's all bronze, no, you know, no brains. Where on the female side of the game, it's like, females are like, you know what? I'm just going to think through this. Instead of me powering through this move to the left, like, they've got to be giving me something over here on the right. And, or here's a technique I learned. And there, there's less of an ego involved with most female competitors or most female practitioners or some competitors. But, you know, there, there is that on both sides because there are some guys that, that roll that way. There's some guys that don't, you know, that, and that's to me what it, like, really um, is high-level jiu-jitsu is, is the guys that they feel like... They, they feel strong in very certain places, but for the most part, they feel like they feel like a bag of sand that you can just move wherever you wanted to. But as you move that bag of sand, like it somehow gets tighter on you, and it somehow gets a little bit harder to grip, and you know. But they don't—they're not like fighting you. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely rather than the cliche. Okay, men are offensive, women are defensive. I think more accurately, it's men tend to be more offensive because they tend to initiate. So maybe mm-hmm. they're more of the initiators. And that women are more responsive rather than just defensive. And that we're reading the situation, doing critical thinking, and figuring out how do I go forward from here. Do I need to go in survivability mode and just defend myself? Yes. Or do I need to start working on different things to either get out of the situation or take advantage of the situation? Yeah. And it brings up a very valid point that I like to reiterate for people all the time is that Men and women in martial arts together can learn a lot from each other. You know, you're talking about that technical thing. I work with guys, and what they've brought out of me is that competitive nature, that ability for me to get just a little bit more aggressive 
behind my technique or the fact that I am actually stronger than I've always thought that I am. That's what men have been able to do for me where they're like, no, you're going to do this again or come at me like this. And when women work with the men, I realize that men realize they need to have a little bit more technique behind that aggressiveness or they can take it back just a little bit. And that's really cool. And you do that a lot too, especially with the kids because the kids' classes are co-ed. You know, it's not separated into like boys and girls and like this. It's, we're all working together because it's the same thing, but we can learn so much from each other to get better. And jumping right off of that, normally when we have people on the show, we ask them, what would be your piece of advice for a white belt coming in? But since we're focusing on women in MMA in this series, Say you had a woman come into the gym who's interested in MMA. What is the biggest piece of advice you would give her? And I know it's hard because it's like we've got Golden Child Hannah where it's like, just do what Hannah did. <laughs> but what's like the one piece of advice that you would give them if they are truly interested in MMA? Say they had just started BJJ, they're like, I think I would like this too. Or say they started Muay Thai and they're like, maybe I want to do MMA. What would your piece of advice to a woman be? Especially since you've worked with so many. Uh, it's, it's tough. I mean... It, it all depends on the person. That's the hardest thing is, is you know, some people, go get hit in the face. You know, go, go get hit in the face. <laughs> That's so true. And, and it's, so it's, true. It's, it's, it's bad as it seems. It's like, it's like you don't really know. You know like Mike Tyson has a quote. And it's, it's spot on. It's like everybody's got a game plan until they get hit in the face. And it's so true because there's a lot of people that think they're tough. Um, and there's a lot of, you have this idea of what tough is. But... What tough really is, is, is is tough. It's not a look, you know? And so you have these guys that assume they're going to be tough or these females that assume, you know what, I, I, I'll go in there and fight. And then they get hit in the nose one time, and it's like, what the fuck so. just happened to me? Like, who, did you just really just hit me? Like, I'm calling the law. Like, this isn't okay. I'm offended, you know? And so and, and, and so if you're that person, like, maybe not for you. But then there's, there's also people that think, you know what, like, I'm going to get hit and I'm going to oh my god, I'm going to break, and it's, oh, I'm so scared of getting hit, and then they get hit, and it's like, it put them in game mode, and like, it didn't phase them in the sense they thought it was going to, like, it was going to hurt them, like, it, it released this inner being in them where they realized it didn't hurt, and then like... See, that's what happened to me, so my first fight, and I didn't train for it like I should, I shouldn't have done it, honestly, very first cross she threw at me broke my nose. Very first, very first one. I just, I watched it happen. My hands were low. I watched it happen, broke my nose. And then after that, it, my face felt numb, and I was like, okay, the worst is over. She hit me. <laughs> See, and the, I can't do, I can't spar. I'll strike and hit, like, a pad, or I'll hold a pad up, but I can't, I can't do it. I can't bring myself to do it. I cannot get Punch hit in the face. I just can't get hit in the face. It makes, it makes me mad. It makes crazy. me mad. Because it's some people, it's like, if you touch their face, it's, it's, it's like, people My don't, money like, they don't touch, people don't touch other people's faces. It's not that, So it's like a defensive to you, people. You know when you get hit in the nose, and it just, your eyes start watering, and it just brings up this level of anger that you just, it's the worst feeling ever. That's one of the worst things that I've ever felt. Well, see, it's funny because some people. <laughs> some people love that. Some like, people I love think it. it's fun, where it's like. Oh shit! I didn't. I wasn't fast enough. I didn't defend myself. Okay, I gotta get you back. No. <laughs> Some people that way, like like it's, you know, we, we've been talking about Hannah. We'll talk about Fatini. Um, you know, we talked about Charlesy. You know, I, I've had the chance to work with all of them. I, I've only worked with Hannah from day one. Charlesy and Tini both have other coaches, and they just come and see me, and I've tried to help them as much as I can. Uh, but they both come from great camps as it is. 
But, um, you know, those three women are, are, are it's kind of a, a fun example of that. Like, They're the gold standard, honestly. <clears throat> oh, yeah. I've got so much respect for all three of them. Like, so much respect. But I am not going to get in a cage with any of them. Well, I will get on a mat with them and we'll slap hands on my fists. But I'm not getting in a cage with them. There's See, no I don't know if there's just something wrong with me because in my mind, I'm thinking... I'm about to get my ass kicked, and it excites me. Like, there's probably something really wrong about that. But well, I, I see them, and I'm like, they're going to kick my ass, but I have, like, a huge shit-eating grin when I say it. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're all three levels of, like, different, though, because it's funny, because they're all the same. Like, if you hit them. They hit you back. They're coming, you know, but it's like. They're out for blood. It's like, like you take Teeny. Teeny, she's like, she's like a little tangled bulldozer. Like, she, the bell rings, and in her head, she's like, you're going to hit me. Like, she knows in her heart you're going to hit me, and she's 100% okay with it. And you hit her, and she comes right through it, and she's just going to she's gonna outwork you and bulldog you. But, like, hit her in the face, like, it, it doesn't – it's not like it – you know, it makes her mad and she goes harder, but it's like it doesn't phase her. She doesn't think about it, like, whack, oh, I can't believe you just hit me. It's just like, whack, you hit me, and I'm still hitting you. And then you have, like, Charlesy, and Charlesy's, like um, – she came from, like, a Thai background and karate as a kid, but she's super tough, too. Um, and, and she'll take like, she'll, she's like willing to trade. She's not like, oh, I'm cool with you getting, with you hitting me. It's like, if you hit me, I'm going to hit you back at the same time and we're going to trade and I'm down to trade. And you know, like every strike given to her, she will give you back. That and plus then some. Yeah. yeah. And she's, she's, she's down to bang. You know, we've been working on not getting hit as much and moving a little bit more and, and stuff, but she's, she's, let's go tit for tat, you know? And then Hannah's like. She's like, you know what? I'm gonna hit you, but I'm only gonna like jab and cross you. I'm gonna be real technical and like sweet about it, and like, you're not gonna hit me, okay? And then she gets hit, and she's like, "All right, it's on." I'm gonna I'm gonna let that one slide. <laughs> I'm gonna keep moving on you, and I'm just gonna beat you up nicely. And then if she gets hit again. There's like a switch that switches on, where she's just like. It's so beautiful to watch because she's so good technically that when she fights most most people that she fights, she never goes to rage mode. But she's also so technical because, you know, she never started trying to fight before she was very good technically. So when she gets mad, it's not like she reverts back because most people that get mad they revert back to like you know bad technique when they early when they were mm-hmm. you know doing things early on. Well, Hannah does that. She reverts back to early on. But it's like perfect technique drills that we've done. Mm-hmm. And then it's not like a... She doesn't think about it like jab, jab, cross, or, you know, two, three, move around, circle, pull in two, circle, jab, cross. It's like, I'm going to hit this girl. And it just all comes together and just whatever needs to happen, happens. And that really... It, it's like, she can. she's so good, she beats people without getting in that mode. But if you hit her and she hits that mode, all of a sudden you see this version of Hannah Scoggins come out and you're like... How good are you? Like, I didn't even realize you were that good because no one's pushed you to that, what I call, that flow state. You know, you get hit, things wake up, and you could go. So, you know when you have, like, this cute little house cat, and then you start fucking with them, and they take it for so long, and then all of a sudden you're getting clawed the shit out of, and they've gone, like, it's on, like, Donkey Kong? That's what I think of, where it's like, okay... Okay, I'm, I'm really getting pissed off now. Get the fuck away from me! Like it's like that moment. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's 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 the it's really and that's you know that's the thing that I 
it's crazy because you, you see so many people fight and, and people win and people lose, but there's moments where people go into certain states in the, in the cage, and it's like my favorite thing to see. It's like something happens, and they literally live in the now. And I think with jujitsu, it, it it's the same way, you know, because because you gotta you gotta kind of um, exaggerate everything as an athlete. Like like what it feels like to be in a cage fighting someone as an athlete is very similar to what it feels like to a normal person. Um, the for the first couple of years, just being on the mat rolling live um, or a tournament, and and what it does is it puts you in this place of now, where. Literally, your conscious. You, you know, what happens is your frontal lobe actually starts to like slow down and let the rest of your brain work. And what happens is you stop making decisions like thinking about them. Mm-hmm. You start to do what comes natural first, and it's a flow state. And the only way that really happens, you go into this flow state where you trust your instincts and your training. Which is this is why I tell people it's so important to have basics put in because when you get hit in the mouth, you're not going to do what you think you're going to do. You're going to do what you've done most in that situation. Mm-hmm. And because you stop consciously reacting and you start becoming, you start doing. And when fighters go into that flow state in the ring, it's when everything clicks. It's when it looks like everything, it's when you see them how good they really are. Because a lot of us, when we get into a competition, we actually slow our abilities down. You know, we have this, you take a human machine, if you will, and this human machine's been trained for 10 years to, to fight and do. You know, but then it has, like, let's take me, for instance. You know, I have all these, I've been trained my whole life, but, you know, I have these thoughts in my head right now. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm older, I'm out of shape, I might not be able to do this, I'm not as flexible. And I'm thinking about all that when I'm calm. But if some guy came in here and hit me in my face right now, I would have none of those thoughts. I would just have the reactions of how my human body had been trained. And I might be sore for a week later. You know, my back might be hurt from kicking too high or something. But, like, in that moment, I'm just going to go. I'm just going to do what I've been trained to do. And I think I think it takes a certain level of competition to get people there in the cage. So I have this theory that I've talked about, and I can't remember if I talked about it with our interview with Kalina or Hannah, but I'm, what is that? I'm a chronic overthinker. Notoriously, like, I'm an overthinker. But when I get out on a competition mat, there's no room for that overthinking I have to do and it doesn't matter if I've done something over and over and again in the gym with like an a game you get on that mat you know I haven't been in a cage or whatever but when I get on that mat it's I just got to do it doesn't matter what it is I don't care if this is something I do in the gym all the time but I see that it's that work that people are putting in when they're in the gym and it does come out on a you know competition mat or when they're in a cage fighting like Charles is the only person I've seen fight in real life. That's the first time I ever saw Charles was when she was fighting. And now that, like, I've trained with her, it just makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's the things they go to. Yeah. Have you ever noticed, you ever seen, like, a high-level competitor? Like, I'll take Lucas Lepre. Uh, he lost to a guy. And I'm taking away from the guy that he lost to. It was, like, Australian Open. I forget the guy's name. Um, but the dude who just turned a black, just got his black belt. Lucas Lepre, if you don't know who he is, guys, he's one of, like, arguably one of the best in the world. And uh, this guy beat him. And you, you see it other times. Like, you see people who are, you know they're better than somebody and they lose to them. Why? Well, to get into a flow state in your brain and, like, operate, like, to your true ability, there's certain things that have to happen. There has to be a level of competition. There has to be, you know, there, it's like Tetris. I tell people, it's like, if I gave you Tetris and I put it on the easiest level, you'd put it down in five minutes because it'd be too easy. 
don't give you Tetris and put it on the hardest level, you'd it'd be too hard. You'd put it down in five minutes, it's not fun. But if I put it one level above your skill level, like or to a level where you could only complete it 49 percent of the time, you'd be addicted to it. You'd play it over and over because you know you could beat it, but you know also it's like it takes everything you have. And so you watch these high-level competitors, and it's like they go against guys they know they should beat, in which they know they're better than. But it's like they can't get into this mode of flow state, and it's and it's they're thinking about this one move, and they're very safe, you know, their frontal lobe's trying to make decisions, which that's the thing about your frontal lobe. It thinks it can plan out the future, but it can't. And the problem is, is when you're thinking in your frontal lobe, you're still thinking about the future, but the now is happening. And so as you start to shut that off, you start to you actually get an advantage on people when you're competing because you actually start to operate in real time versus a half second behind because your brain's thinking about what's going on in the future, not what's going on right now, mm-hmm. so on and so forth. So you watch these competitors, and it's like they get beat by people who are obviously not as good as them. And it's because... They're playing at their level. They're playing at their level. And, and the competition wasn't good enough to get them into this mode. You know, it's like sometimes I roll against, you know white belts or blue belts and it's like I have a tough time with them you know I beat them but like, I'll, I'll be trying to go for like a baseball bat choke or a cross collar or something and I'm like I can't get it and then I go with like a brown belt or well not brown belts brown belts pretty tough for me you know obviously but <laughs> I go with like a purple belt or a high level blue belt and it's like I arm bar them right away it's like what in the world and it's like well I was going for that cross collar choke but they defended it and I respected how good they were and they their reaction countered my reaction and led me right to the next movement where if I'm going against a low level you know white belt or blue belt it's like they don't have that reaction they're just holding and it's like oh I don't move to the next step because I'm, I'm trying to force something I'm trying to think that I know what they're going to do whereas when you start to go with people who are better you, it, you just move you just move and that to a lot of people like if the first like honestly that what we're talking about right there that flow state to new people that get into the martial arts you know, that can be a life-changing moment because there's not a lot of things that promote the brain going into a flow state. And if you don't know what flow state is, it's basically when your five major chemicals in your brain all flow together and work in harmony. And it's, it's, it's when time ceases to exist. And we all had that as a kid playing some game we were interested in or something, but the moment you can find that as an adult... It's very life-changing because not everybody has it, and, and not everybody has an outlet for that. And, and it's a way to literally – you have all these stresses going on in your life, you know, bills and, and the pandemic, and you have kids and all this and that and the other. And it's very hard to shut that off. You know, people say, oh, you need to meditate. Well, yeah, meditation comes from a lot of ways, you know, but sitting down and not thinking, it's impossible for me at least. You know, but for me to also sit there – and not only not think, but not to think about how I'm going to solve, you know, certain problems I'm having at the gym or how I'm going to fix, you know, my financial situation or how I'm going to raise my kid. Like, it's impossible to shut those thoughts, thoughts off for me, you know, because I care about all those things. But the moment I hit a mat... They're gone. Yeah. There's, there's no place for them. There's, I mean, so it's like it's like you're sitting here and, and you, it doesn't matter if you guys want to do jiu-jitsu, like, competitively, it's... It's understanding that you're giving yourself an hour or two hours a day of freedom, of true freedom. And, and another thing I'm big on is there's a reason they call it martial arts. And it's because it's a way of expressing creativity. So many people quit this art beforehand because they get into it as a white belt or a blue belt and they see all these moves and they think it's a competition. But when you hit purple belt or brown belt, 
those basics we talk about that you're doing subconsciously, just like when you're driving down the road, you don't think about hitting your blinker anymore. You just do it. But when you first started driving, you had to be like, oh, God, I got to hit my blinker. Oh, look in the mirror. Oh, hit my blinker. Oh, look in the mirror. Switch lanes. Oh, God, cut my blinker off. Like You do all that now without even thinking about it. And the same thing happens when you start rolling. And when you hit that purple belt, brown belt level, it's no longer like going through and doing these like uh, these drills or these moves. It's, it's like literally you're expressing yourself creatively in real time against a worthy adversary. And that all makes for such a perfect combination of just, you know, everybody says, what are you doing? I always say, well, just being. You know, like, what are you doing while you're being? Or what are you being while you're doing? You can think about it any way you want to, but, like, so many people are always doing. And early on in jiu-jitsu, you're doing because you're, you're having to think about every move. But you hit a certain level, you've drilled a certain amount of times where you literally become free on the mat because you're not doing anything. You're being. You're, you're being a purple belt. Like, it's, I'm not thinking about, oh, if this person you know, goes to knee cut, I got to do this specific frame and then I got to get this specific guard. It's like, I've done that so many times. If they do it, I just move and I'm just going and I'm expressing myself freely in the moment with really like my, I think it's my left brain because that's the creativity mm-hmm. one, right? And that's so important for people on so many levels because I just feel like a lot of people get caught in the doing of things in the, in the right side of the brain where they're constantly focusing on like fixing problems and, and they're never in the moment. And that's why jiu-jitsu to me is, it's, it's, I, you know, it's more important to me than fighting, even though I've fought the majority of my life. And, but that to me is why people need to be in jiu-jitsu, is the, the, you get to experience the freedom of an art without having to be some you know, high-level competitor or you know, lifelong you know, athlete. It's, you get you get to experience it. and that's what the high level athletes and all these guys are doing. They're all they're all going through these flow moments and, and enjoying the now of, of life and that's so freeing. And the average person gets caught up in, in paying the bills and, and raising the kids and they lose the sense of creativity and then all of a sudden it's like a part of your personality shuts off. Yeah. You know, so I think for, you know, the average person looking getting jujitsu it's it's understanding like there is going to be a commitment early on where you're going to train, but you know, to a lot of people, those first two or three years of drilling is like the most fun part. You're learning all this new information, and then there becomes a switchover transition part where it's not so much about learning anymore; it's about expressing. And, and um, some people don't like that part. Some people leave at that part. But um, to me, I think that that's the most important thing with jiu-jitsu, Whether you're a competitor, you know, most time competitors. The reason they compete is because people in the gym on an average basis can't give them to the flow state. Yeah. It's not it's, it's not time sensitive, you know? So, that, so they're looking for that rush to get them there, and that's why they compete. Yeah. But there's a lot of people that are the opposite. There's a lot of people who compete really well in the gym, but you put them in a tournament, they do terrible. Yeah. And it's because they think. Know, if, they think. I've always heard, if you think you're losing, and every time I've lost, it's mainly because I've stopped and thought about it rather than just reacting and doing. Well, I have one more question for you on my end, and I don't know, I don't ask you these things while I'm here, but how, what advice would you give to people when they have a bad day in the gym? And it's not the people who are lacking in their discipline or whatever it is, you know, you've got people who may be winning consistently or, 
you know, they're doing really well, and then they just get to a point where it's like, man, I'm getting my ass kicked again, like, you know, and because everybody's getting better, and that's a good thing, but there are just days where you, you're literally getting beat up on. You just have those bad days. So if I come up to you and I was like, Cody, I'm just having, you know, the shittiest week. It's just been day after day of getting my ass kicked. I, I don't know what to do at this point. So early on when I was training, I used to have these days, and it made me so mad. Um, but then as I got older and, and trained longer and talked to some other coaches and stuff, it's like you have to look at it as a good thing because let's think about why that's happening, right? Let's think – Let's take a, a person who just comes and starts. Why are you getting your ass kicked? Well, because you don't know anything. All right? You start beating some people. You start winning. And then people start beating you again. Or things start to become hard again. And it's like, God, I was armbarring everybody for the last three months. I can't armbar anybody now. Why is that happening? Well, there's a great respect in the gym for you then. Your armbar got so good that people started, started learning how to escape armbars. And so all of a sudden their resistance to your move went up because of how good your move was. That's a great respect, you know? And so you have to treat it that way. What else could have happened? Well, you know, what else could have happened is, is, is instead of somebody beating your move, you could be, you know, I'll, I'll take it uh, back. I used to train. I used to love guillotines from the guard. I guillotine everybody. It's the point where I got bored of it. So I stopped guillotining people. I started using my guillotine instead of trying it. Um, and so it... Uh, you know, it, 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 it I, I look at it like it, it's only happening for one or two reasons. Either people are respecting what you're doing and they're learning how to beat it, which is going to help your game in the end, mm-hmm. or you're trying to elevate your game by doing something you're not already good at and expand your knowledge. Like, if, if you can arm bar everybody, that's awesome. That's an incredible skill to have. But if you can't do a triangle choke, you know, maybe you want to spend some time giving up that arm bar and developing your triangle choke in the sense of training, because training sessions isn't competing. Um, and I would try to look at it like that. Like, I would try to look at it as a sense of, of respect. You know, there's a great jiu-jitsu practitioner that coaches in Texas. And what he does is this, if he has, like, a, a purple belt or a brown belt in class that's smashing everybody and doing something to everybody, well, for the next month what he does is teaches the counter to it. Mm-hmm. He teaches everybody how to beat that game. And what happens is that person either becomes average or they have to learn a new game. But either way, he's doing it as part of the coach. So... That's how I think about it, you know. And, and you also have to look at other things, you know. There's there's going to be days you're gonna you're not going to be on it. You didn't eat right. You didn't sleep right. There's going to be days you're not on it, and that's okay. It's it's did I go? Yes or no? Yes, when? I either win or I, I either win or I, you know I learn, and or I, and so it's it's if I go, I won. If I'm consistent, I won. It doesn't matter, you know. Everybody asks what I look for in a fighter. I look for people who are on the journey, not people looking for the destination. That's the best way of saying it. If you come and you fall in love with your teammates, you fall in love with your with your with your your coach and your drilling and your your family of martial artists, and you really embody that that you just love to be there, I would almost promise you that in eight years you'll be incredible at jujitsu. Yeah. You know, if if you come in wanting to be incredible at jujitsu, what's going to happen is this: you're going to come in and you're going to you're going to be like, I want to be the best at jujitsu. And you're going to compete with everybody on the mat with you who are your teammates. And then no matter what, what's going to eventually happen is going to be a feud of, like, you're not going to like each other. There's going to be this competition in the gym. And that's not the case. Like, the case is, like, I go in, I want to be my best me, and I'm going to be consistent. And if you can fall into that routine and really love the process, I don't care what it is you're going after to do, you'll be great at it. 
because you'll show up consistently and you'll you'll embody the process. If you're looking to be world champion, you know, you ask people come in, I, I hate that. People come in and tell me they're gonna be the world champion. I literally, I'm like, hey man, I don't mean to be rude, but everybody who's ever told me that has disappeared within six months. Mm -hmm. You know, so the people I, I choose to invest with now are the people who come up to me in the middle of class and they're just like, dude, I love this. Thank you so much. I love, I love training. I love being here. This is my favorite place. Because to me, what they're telling me is I'm not leaving. And so I look at, well, I better get him good because he's going to be here for a while. Mm -hmm. People come and see him and you're going to think that I'm a bad coach because he's going to be here, you know, <laughs> and that's kind of a joke. But like, I, that's what I think about. If you believe in yourself as a coach, you can make anybody good if they show up. Mm -hmm. So that's why I just look, the people I invest in, is it, I just look. You show up consistently. You don't miss workouts. You, if you tell me you're going to be there, you're there. Like, okay, I'm on board with you because... Um, you're on board with yourself at that point. Yeah. I, you know, I think we can come together and consistently we'll eventually become a good athlete. And so, um, to me, consistency is the most important aspect of martial arts. Yeah. Because, I mean, we have that joke of the... The days where we cry in our car in the parking yeah, lot the, the gym, and we cry on the way home. But what happens? We go home, we eat dinner, we go to sleep, and we're in the gym the next day. So show them back know, up. That's really good advice, and we really appreciate getting to know a lot of like your coaching methods more because we're here with you most of the time of the week. But we haven't sat and had this kind of conversation as far as like your coaching goes. So we both appreciate you doing this for us. Try to be like a teeny calls me. She calls me Yoda. I try to, <laughs> Not just because you're wearing green today. <laughs> no, it's because I try to. I try to coach on a very deep, like aspect. I don't try to. I mean, I show good technique, but you know, it's. I try to coach in a way to where people are going to be able to change themselves. You know, when I was early in coaching, I I wanted to be the guy that changed you. You know, I wanted to be the guy that taught you the perfect move. And what I understood over time was is you're going to be the person to teach yourself that. Yeah. I can be the catalyst. I can be, you know, the the knowledge of it. But at the end of the day, you're going to be the person that puts the effort into it. And so it's, it's to me, that's what I, I care more about than anything is, is if people come to me and they tell me they want something, what they're telling me is, is they want to achieve something they don't know how to achieve. And if they prove to me over time that they're serious about it, to me, there's no greater joy in the world than be able to give somebody the tools to change themselves because that's that's freedom. You know, um, a lot of us are called into our daily routines and these habits of who we are as an individual. And you know, a lot of people wake up and do the same three things in a row every single day. They park in the same parking spot. They you know, use the same restroom at work. They're they're, they're robots. And I feel personally attacked right now. Well, you see, it's, 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 I mean, you are. You have this subconscious programming of habits. And to be able to give somebody who, who becomes conscious of those patterns and says, you know what, I, I realize I, I need help doing these things, but I don't know how to change myself. And you give somebody the programming and the, and the ability to come in and go, this is what I want to be. And you say, this is, all right, do these things. And they get to where they want to be. There's like, to me, there's no greater gift in the world because you're literally letting someone become themselves huh. and you're becoming a catalyst for that. And so that's why coaching for me is, it's a passion. I, I think it's changing people's lives, you know, and however small or big it might be. Um, but, you know, hopefully 
one day I'll change some people's lives. I don't know. <laughs> well, I think you've definitely given our listeners a lot to think about today. Not only have we covered what the it factor is, seeing if that person's going to deal with fight or flight or freezing, honestly. And then going into how women and men train a little bit differently, especially with the conception of coming into the gym and maybe wanting to become a fighter. And then at the end of the day, what's going to happen when you get hit in the face? How are you going to respond? That Ultimately, that's what happens. So I think this is a really good introduction into our Women in MMA series. Next week, you get to hear us interview the one and only golden child, Hannah Scoggins. But thanks for tuning into the episode and can't wait to share. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. Bye.